It's good to see you all uh, this morning. Uh, those who are with us, thanks for coming. Those who are online, thanks for joining. I pray this morning that you're able to um, uh, focus, listen carefully to the word that God has for you. Uh, we don't come, we know that we don't come in vain. We know that we don't come because we just want to do something on a Sunday morning. We know we come because we want to feed ourselves on the word of God. Uh, what I share with you this morning is just a part of, it's just a part of what God is wanting to share with you and, and, and feed you all week. Um, you'll read your Bible, you'll listen to other things, um, you'll, you'll attend studies, you'll go to prayer. So this is, this is part of, part of what you, how you look after your soul and how you nourish your soul. That's, that's really important. You know, God forbid we ever become a church where, you know, uh, people are comfortable just coming to a Sunday morning and finding Sunday morning as their, uh, their duty uh, to do. God forbid that we would ever become Christians like that, uh, but rather that we would continue to feed ourselves on God's word all the time and be ready for listening to God's voice all the time. Let's pray. Let's ask the Lord's blessing on the word this morning. Uh, as I want to continue looking at our little study from last week uh, on, from Romans 6. And I pray this morning um, that, is a, that is a blessing for you as we continue to look into God's word and see what he has to say regarding this passage. So join me as we pray and ask the Lord to guide us this morning in his word and most importantly, have our hearts open to listen to what he has to, has to say to us today. Father in heaven, we know that you are in control. You are Lord, you are God, you are sovereign in all things. And I thank you that we have the opportunity this morning to meet and to gather and to listen to your word. Father, speak to our hearts. Lord, take your word and, and let it work in our lives in a way that you know is best for us. Father, I don't claim to know much. I don't claim to um, be able to do this well. But Father, I know you can. I know by your spirit you're able to take what is said and really minister in the areas of our lives that are most needed. So, Lord, I pray for hearts that are ready to receive, and I pray that you would speak as you see fit in every heart, Lord God. Lord, we pray for the church as a whole, that you continue to build us and strengthen us and guide us in everything. Uh, lead us in all things, and lead us particularly this morning, we pray. We come to you trusting you and holding on to you, and we, we want you to do the work that needs to be done, and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Um, it's an interesting passage, Romans 6, as you listened this morning. It's an interesting passage because it's one of those passages that are really sometimes a little bit, uh, can be a little bit complicated to understand. But also it's one of those interesting passages that there's been a lot of debate over. You know, over the years, a lot of Christians have debated about what does this mean? What does that mean? Uh, could it mean this? Could it mean that? And it's an interesting, um, Romans in itself is an interesting book. And if you, if you ever take the time to read Romans in its entirety, so if you actually read it from start to finish, you'll understand what I'm trying to say, that it's one of those books where there's a, there's a, a lot of meat. There's, there's like a, lots of information in there. Um, and sometimes you're scratching your head thinking, what's, he, what's Paul even trying to say? in this passage what's he what's he meaning in this passage what what's he referring to and so hence you know evolves this debate amongst christians around how we should live and what is and what paul is saying and does he is he saying that we that we can do this or we can't do this and so there's this really interesting kind of um debate that goes on around what the intent of what paul is trying to say but i think therein lays the truth the truth is that if 
the heart that really genuinely wants to seek God, genuinely, genuinely wants to know the word of God, God's going to reveal that truth to him. God's going to reveal that truth to him and her around what, God, what he's really trying to communicate when it comes to the life of a Christian. And, and I understand that some of the passages that we perhaps I'll read this morning might be, sound a little bit complicated, and I know, you know it's a little bit more like a study because I want to look at a few scriptures. I, I'd like to do that because I think we want to just continue to understand what the, what the Apostle Paul is trying to communicate to us all. But to help, I want to just share a story to start with. I want to share a story, and I want to share a story for our, all our children listening online today. So if you're one of our children listening online, uh, primary aged, maybe early secondary I want you to listen to this story very carefully, just for a few minutes. I want to just sort of address the children for a few minutes. You can all listen, though. Don't tune out. Don't tune out, okay? You can all listen to this story. I want to share a, I want to share a few words just to, just to try and draw together. So, if, kids, if you're running around in the lounge room, just come sit down for a moment. Come sit down. So you can listen to, to this story I want to share. It's not a long story, but I think it'll help us understand a little bit about what what, is, uh, what I'm trying to share, share today. But before I share this story, let me ask this question. How easy do you find it, to, how easy in your life do you find it to be able to say no? Are you someone who can say no easily? When you're in a situation and you know, you know there's a bit of a temptation before you as to something that you should or shouldn't do, you know, someone's asking you to do something or you're begin to, beginning to think something that you shouldn't be thinking, how easy is it for you to say no? Are you someone who can say no easily? Or do you always sort of slip into saying yes? You know, take for example, again, let me go back to our children for a moment. Take for example, you know, someone's asking you to do something that you shouldn't be doing. They're asking you to lie for them. They're asking you to cheat, maybe schoolwork, cheat. You know, can I share your, you know. Do you find it easy to say no? What about... What about with the mind? What about the mind? When, when um, say you're playing games with people and someone wants to come and play basketball with you and they're not a very good player, they're not a very good player, and in your head you're saying, I don't want them to play, I don't want them to play because they're, they're going to spoil the game because they're not very good. Can you say no to that thought? Can you easily say no to the thought of excluding someone else because they're not like you or they don't make your group feel good as, they, as you like it to be? Can you, can you say no to that thought and, and be welcoming? How easily do you say, can you say no to things? Or what about if someone's talking about someone else, they're gossiping about someone else, yeah, and you're feeling a really bit uncomfortable because they're saying things about maybe the teacher or a friend or someone you like, and they're gossiping and they're saying bad things about people. Can you say no and say, I don't want to listen to this? How, how easily do you say no? Or do you slip into an easy yes all the time? Like your, your ability to resist is quite weak. Your, your capacity to, to say no is, is kind of, you know, it's just not there. It's not strong. Are you an easy no-sayer? kind of says something about a character, doesn't it, of someone? It says something about someone's character, how easy they say no to things like that. Go back many, many years ago into a garden called Eden and, and, and there's Eve. 
And Eve has got a problem because she looks at some fruit that God's put in the garden and it looks really good because anything God makes is good. It looks really good. And of course, God's saying to Adam and Eve, this is, this is the one fruit I really don't want you to eat. But of course, the devil takes any opportunity when it comes to the statutes and the expectations of God. He'll take any opportunity to twist that. And, and, and eventually, after through a conversation, convinces her that this is actually probably pretty nice, isn't it? Like, it's something that can do, do really good for you. And even though you're not supposed to do it, hey, it's going to help you in some ways. And so she couldn't say no. So it's not necessarily a problem that just exists today. It's a problem that's existed for a very long time. But thanks be to God that he gives us other examples in the Bible of people who were able to say no when that was the right choice to make. You know, you look at someone like Daniel in the Old Testament where Daniel was faced with a problem. The law said you can't pray. Daniel said no. I'm not going to listen to what I'm being told to do because what I'm being told to do isn't right. He said no to this and he continued to do the things of God. He continued to do what pleased the Lord and he prayed. And then thankfully we got someone like Jesus who in the wilderness, as he's fasting in the wilderness, the devil comes up to him and says, you know what, I've got a plan for you. Hey, just come and do things my way. Worship me and I'll give you everything. And Jesus says No. Great. Even Jesus was able to say no. And thank God we've got other examples like Daniel and Paul and other people in the Bible because then we don't have to say to ourselves and deceive ourselves by thinking, but that was Jesus, as if like somehow it's different to me. But he said no. So I'm wondering how easy do you find it to say no? Because the very thing you give yourself to is the very thing that's going to take control of you. So there's this legend, I'll tell you this story. There's this legend of a time where uh, um, you know, there was a kind of an initiation of, from youth to manhood um, and there was this young Indian boy up in the snowy mountains and he was going through his initiation of becoming youth to man and he had to go through this process. So he, he wanted to test himself up in the mountains of snow and he's up there and he comes across a snake, a rattlesnake. The snake starts to speak to him. Yeah, it's a legend. The snake, snake starts to speak to him and says this. He says, I'm about to die. It's too cold for me up here and I'm freezing. There is no food and I'm starving. Put me under your shirt and take me down to the valley. <laughs> the young man says, no way. He says, no way. Um, uh, he says, I'm, I'm no, I'm warned. I know you're kind. You're a rattlesnake. If I pick you up, you will bite me. And if you bite me, you will kill me. No, said the rattlesnake. I'll treat you differently. If you do this for me, you will be special. I will not harm you. And so the young man's resisting for a while, but after this very sort of persuasive words of the snake, and obviously he looks beautiful as a rattlesnake and all the markings on his body, the young man says, okay, and he tucks the snake under his, his shirt and he carries him down to the valley. He lays him gently on the grass 
The snake slowly coils up, rattles, leaps, and bites him. Young man says, hey, you told me, you told me you would not do this. When I picked you up, you promised you wouldn't do this to me. The snake said to him very simply, as he slithered off, he said, very simply, who do you think you were picking up? You knew what I was when you picked me up. I find it astounding. I find the story amazing when you think about this in light of our lives today. Here he is presented with a situation that he knew. He knew the simple answer was no. Simple. He knew. It's not like he had to learn something. It's not like he had to go to his school to understand the, the effect of this. It's not like he had some, some wise counselor to say to him, hey, you know what? You shouldn't pick him up. He knew, and yet in the process of being convinced and, 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 and um, persuaded and, and, necessary and drawn into the situation, his ability to say no starts to break down and he resists this to the point where he takes it under his shirt only to his own destruction. God's heart beats for his people because he sees the pain that they endure because they can't say no. And he has this whole other plan for them. He has this whole, whole other way for them. And in Romans 6, what God is doing, he's trying, what Paul is doing, he's trying to unpack very simply for the Christian the ability they have in Jesus' name to be able to say no to the things that destroy them. And yet Christians play with it as if to say, oh, but it doesn't mean this, it doesn't mean that. And they go around destroying their lives over it. Last week we spoke about how God has given us a choice between life and death, didn't we? He said, choose life. And in this passage here that we're going to continue to read, this is what God is in fact actually asking us to do. He's asking us to choose life. If he wanted us to choose death, he wouldn't put this here or he would write it differently. But thanks be to God for the Christian, for his children. He says, I want you to choose life. So let me tell you what life looks like. And for all of you out listening, for all of you listening, if your faith is damaged and you think to yourself, it's okay to still dabble and play with things that you shouldn't be dabbling and playing with because your faith has somehow been damaged in believing this is okay, then come to the altar, come to the feet of Jesus and allow him to restore your damaged faith and find life in Christ. We have this funny thing today that people talk about, the word hangry. Do you get hangry? You know? You're feeling a bit hungry, and because you're feeling a bit hungry, you start to get a bit angry, and you kind of excuse your anger because you're hangry. You know, people, what people like to do, they, they put titles to things that kind of justifies their behavior because there's a word for it now. But it's still hangry, it's still angry, isn't it? It's still irrational behavior for something that's very simple. You're hungry and you get angry and you're justified and God's saying, that's not right still. But because you can't say no, you fall into the temptation. I don't know, is that, is that complicated? Jesus fasted 40 days. Do you reckon he was hungry? I don't think he was hangry. He might have been hungry. 
And yet when the temptation came his way 40 days later and the devil said, hey, you know, why don't you turn these, these stones into bread? Because, you know, um, you know, tempting him to do something the father didn't want him to do. And Jesus says, no. He said, no. Man doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And so he was able to resist the temptation and say no despite what he was feeling in his flesh and though his flesh was tormented and, and afflicted by the, hu the hunger you think you think somehow he had superpowers he would have felt hungry like you feel hungry over you know we, we don't eat for half a day and it's like oh get me to the fridge and here he's 40 days in and you don't think he's going to feel the same temptations to like get away from me and get angry at him but he said, no, man doesn't live by bread alone. And this is the freedom that we have in Christ. So this is the freedom. And yet we make reason after reason after reason to pick up the rattlesnake. Oh, but it seemed okay. It felt okay. They said it was okay. And then we, we go crying afterwards, saying, look what I did. Where God wants to spare us before because of his great love. He wants to spare us before, and he gives us a passage like this to say, I want to spare you from this. And thanks be to God who gives us this passage. So what's, what's Paul's whole point in this? Very simply, let me put, give it to you in a sentence. His whole point is this. Who and what are you giving permission to control your life? Who are you giving permission to control your life? And what are you giving permission to control your life? What he wants to do is speak about the importance of righteousness. What he wants to do is speak about the risk and the danger of sin. Now, if there's anyone in this world that should never get sick on the, of the topic of sin, it should be the Christian. Do you know that? When you hear a message about sin, you shouldn't think, oh, no, again? If there's a people in this world that should be happy to continue to thrash out, listen, discuss, talk, pray, consider anything to do with sin, it should be the Christian because the Christian knows the pollution and the poison of sin and it wants to deal with it properly. Amen? Recently, some of you who follow maybe the football or, or uh, just look at generally the news, you would have seen quite an amazing feet where they raised something like 14.6 million dollars for MND you see that on the news fantastic it's amazing you know because I think that's just a, a wonderful um, opportunity for them to do research into motor neuron disease it's what a beautiful thing to have happened but they do that because they consider and they realize the damage and the destructive nature of this disease and so they will spend hour after hour after hour dollar after dollar after dollar researching and, and, and scientifically testing things in order to get to the bottom of a disease that is killing people, and quite rightly so. The Christian has the same attitude of the very thing that is killing the souls of people. The same attitude of investing as much time as needed into this topic called sin because it's killing people without them knowing. And so thanks be to God that Paul, the Apostle Paul, spends chapters in this book addressing this issue. 
so that we can digest and listen and grow and learn and get right in our minds what it is that he wants us to do. Listen to this verse before we go back to chapter 6. Listen to this verse from Romans 5. So that as sin reigned in death, as sin reigned in death, even so grace might reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. I want you to consider this verse for a moment. It says two things. Sin reigned in death. And it says the second part of that is, and grace reigned through righteousness. You know when someone reigns, they're like an emperor, a ruler, someone who's like the, the Lord over something. And so sin reigned through death. In other words, sin is the emperor, if you like, or the king or the lord of death. It dictates it, it rules it, it controls it, it fulfills it, it determines it. Everything that death looks like is the result of its lord and emperor called sin. However, grace reigned through righteousness. And so the, the emperor grace now does the same thing. It does the same. It reigns through righteousness. It dictates it. It determines it. It fulfills it. It controls it. It enables it. Because this is what grace does. Hallelujah. Whereas the emperor sin wants to dictate and determine death, the emperor grace wants to dictate and fulfill righteousness in our lives. So when we look at the rattlesnake, we think, you think I'm stupid to even entertain you? You realize, but listen carefully, you realize something about sin, yeah? Listen carefully to this. If you haven't realized this before, let me share it with you, because I know through personal experience, you know, you realize that it's so much easier to say no to the first temptation than to play around with sin and try and say no later down the track, don't you? You realize that, don't you? So if you really, really want to say no, you say no to the first temptation because you let it go and you let it travel down the track. It's going to be really, really hard to try and say no later on. It's going to be really hard. So if you're serious about saying no, you say no at the start when it first comes your way. Pops into your head. Hey, why don't you do this? Why don't you go there? Why don't you look at this? Why don't you entertain that? That's the place where it needs to be addressed. The problem isn't the thought that pops into your mind. That's not the problem because we can't control that thing. What you do with it is the problem. And if you don't say no then, it's going to be a whole lot harder to say no later. That's just common sense. And so Paul is giving us advice to help us. Thanks, thank God. <laughs> He's giving us help here. So look at verse 19. Let's go back to verse 19 where we finished last week. Chapter 6, verse 19. He says, I speak in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. For just as you presented your members as slaves of uncleanness and of lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members of slaves of righteousness for holiness. Yeah? It's, his argument's very, very simple. Who are you allow, who are you allowing to control you? If you present your bodies, if you present yourselves slaves of uncleanness and of lawlessness, guess what's going to happen? Guess what it's going to lead to? More lawlessness. It's not hard to understand, is it? You dabble and play, you're going to find yourself 
building a sandcastle. It's going to get so big. Only to find your life washed away. And interesting, he says, but the opposite is now present your members of slaves of righteousness. Now make yourself someone who says, when righteousness says, do this, you say, I will, because you are my Lord and I am your slave. Hey, listen, not slaves of religiousness. Imagine that. Imagine Paul said that. Now present yourself slaves of religiousness. I've got to read more. I've got to go to church more. I've got to be more of a good person. That's slaves of religiousness. He doesn't say that. He says, I want you to be slaves of righteousness, the very thing that brings life into your soul, the very thing that liberates you from religiousness, the very thing that liberates you from things that you think you can do on your own but brings you to a place that can only do things because of Christ who is in you. That's righteousness. Because religiousness will say, you know what, I'll turn my cheek three times, maybe four. But righteousness says, I'll always turn my cheek. You know, that kind of stuff. He wants you to present ourselves as slaves of righteousness. In another passage, the Bible says this, Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it in its lust. Listen to the wording here. Don't let sin reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it in its lust. In other words, as soon as you let it creep into you, as soon as you allow the thought to become an action, as soon as you allow yourself to do things you know you shouldn't do, you've let sin creep into your body, your mortal body, the Apostle Paul says, and the, and the, um, the spiritual principle is, once you've allowed it to creep into your body, you're going to fulfill it. That's why it's so much harder to say no down the track. We think, oh, we're strong, we'll play, we'll entertain, we'll play around with sins, we'll just watch a little bit, we'll just say a little bit, we'll just do a little bit. It doesn't really matter. No one's being hurt by this. No one can see it. And then all of a sudden, we're trapped. And we go away crying. It's like the people who lurk around the rivers of the alligators and they think they're okay. But the alligators and say, oh, here I am. Just letting you know I'm here. Don't go another step because if you do, I'll come and snap at you. No, he waits deliberately, knowing in your foolishness you'll take another step toward the river. In your naivety, you're going to take another step during the river. And then as soon as you get close enough, bang. It's like Samson who thought he could play around with Delilah, didn't he? He thought he could play around with her. Oh, you know, this and that. This is the reason. And he starts entertaining conversations with her. What's your strength? And he says, I'm not going to tell you. Then he tells her this. And he entertains with her until eventually he tells her the truth about his strength, which brings, down, brings him down um, uh, from his enemies. This playing around that brings down, the Bible says, even strong men. Verse 20. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regards to righteousness. Don't you love this verse? Do you know what Paul's saying here? You know, when you were a slave to sin, you were free in regards to righteousness. Isn't that? It's amazing. It's like, oh, you didn't even think about, what's this righteousness business? When you weren't even a Christian considering this stuff, you were like exempt 
from righteousness. <laughs> you, didn't, you didn't consider it. You didn't pray about it. You didn't contemplate it because you were free from it because you were in sin and you're in the world and you're on your way to hell. Why would you even worry about righteousness for? Listen to these verses that relate to this. Remember, like I said, like a little bit of a study. Listen to this verse. When Paul is in another passage in Philippians, he's talking about the unbeliever. He says, whose end, listen, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is in their shame. Who set their mind on earthly things. Listen to a really interesting description of human nature. What they consider to be good in life is this. Their God is their belly. So whatever satisfies. Mate, if it makes me feel good, man, I'm not going to say no to it. If this thing makes me feel good and this thing satisfies me, satisfy me, who are you to tell me I can't do it? Isn't that what you get today? Whose business is it to you to tell me not to do something that makes me feel good? Whose God is their belly? God forbid that ever creeps into the church, yeah? Whose God is their belly? Whose glory, listen, is in their shame? Oh, you know what I did on Saturday night? Guess what I did? Guess who I saw? Guess what we got up to? Oh, you know what I did at work? You know what, you know what I managed to get out of doing at work? And their glory is in their shame. That somehow what they're doing is glorious in their own mind. That's why in Job, the Bible talks about human nature. It says this in Job 15. How much less man who is abominable and filthy, who drinks iniquity like water. It's a very interesting, it's a very interesting description of human nature. Who drinks sin like water. Yeah? It's like no thought about it. In fact, it's satisfying and necessary to sustain you. And Paul is saying here, when you were slaves of sin, well, you didn't even think about righteousness because that's who you were. But it's changed now. Now it's different. Now you know what the rattlesnake does. Before you didn't know. Before but you foolishly, you'll take it up because it looked good and sounded good and felt good. Are you following Is it making sense? Do you ever wonder why God is so concerned about sin? Have you ever stopped to contemplate it for a moment? Like, what's the big deal anyway? What is it that God is so concerned about when it comes to sin? Do you think it's because he thinks to himself it's naughty to sin? <laughs> oh, naughty girl, you sinned. That's very naughty of you. You did wrong. Do you think that's how God thinks about sin? Like it's a bad thing for you. Like it's like, like that's a, you're a bad boy because you sinned. It's not why God gets so, so upset about sin. It's not why God's so concerned about it. I want to try and explain it to you and hopefully I can articulate this well enough. 
Everything God did in this earth, everything he did, he did perfectly. Everything he put in place, he put in place perfectly. From the way we, are, we ought to treat one another, from the way we ought to relate to one another, from the way we ought to conduct ourselves, from the way we ought to behave, everything he asked and every expectation and every way and every law, everything God did, he did perfectly. It was his blueprint for perfection. You get that? Because he knew this is what is going to make this world live and function perfectly. We call that his glory, don't we? That's his glory. When you love your wife, that's his glory. You get that? That's his perfection. When you forgive your friend, that's his glory. That's his perfection. So every time we manipulate, cheat, lie, steal, get jealous, cheat on someone, everything we do like this ends up destroying this perfection and when we sin, we fall short of this glory. Do you understand? And that's what aches God's heart. Because he knows the very thing that is going to destroy you and everything he has planned for you to live as you are called to live is going to be destroyed by this thing that is in us that wants to take us away from his perfection, his glory. So you can go off and do your own thing. You can play with as many rattlesnakes as you like, but it's going to destroy your marriage. It's going to destroy your friendship. It's going to destroy your character. It's going to destroy your relationships. It's going to destroy everything. You can go and play, but this is what aches the heart of God. And he calls the Christian to come and believe they are free from this now. They're no longer slaves to this. They are free. So verse 21. What fruits did you have then? in the things of which you are now ashamed, for the end of those things is death. If I asked you all in this room today and those who are listening, if I asked you to give me your top five sins of your life. No, no, you've got to tell me what were the top five sins you've done. Come on, tell me. Tell everyone. I'm hoping and I would assume there'd be a lot of embarrassed people who would say, no way I'm going to tell you what I've done. No, I want the top five. Don't give me something down here, the top that you're most, you, you realise you, should, you shouldn't have done. For sure you'd be embarrassed and ashamed because that's what the Scripture says. It says very simply, the fruit before you're now ashamed of because those things brought death and you ought to be ashamed of it. Thank God God has dealt with it and God forbid I should ever ask you about them. You know, in Ephesians 5, it says this, for it is shameful even to speak of those things which are done by them in secret. You ever considered that verse before? For it is shameful even to speak of those things which are done by them in secret. Oh, did you hear what so-and-so did? Did you hear the latest goss? 
Oh, they got up to something really bad the other night. They did this, 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 and then they did this, this, this. And but all things are exposed and made manifest by the light, for whatever makes manifest is light. Notice this. What exposes darkness is light. Not your opinion. Not your attitude. Not what you think. Light exposes darkness. Truth exposes darkness. But we, we're not here to, to talk about things, about, about what people do in secret. We're here to talk about light. Don't be ever boastful about your past, and I'm sure many of you aren't, but don't ever be boastful about your past. Rather, be grateful about your presence. Be grateful of where the Lord has brought you. And that's why it's so beautiful to listen to testimonies at baptisms because what people do in testimonies, they talk about what God has taken them from. They don't boast about their past. You sense in their voice and in their heart such a relief that they're no longer there. And then finally, verse 22. But now having been set free from sin and having become slaves of God, You have your fruit to holiness and to the end everlasting life because now you're free from something and you're a slave to something else. You're free from sin, but you're a slave to something else. And because of the death of the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross, he has set you free from sin. And because of the spirit that dwells in you, he has made you now a slave of righteousness. And when you come to a place where you can completely relinquish your own control and say, Lord, here I am. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. I'm not trying to take hold of any little bit of my life anymore. No matter what pain it brings me, then you are free in Christ. But as soon as you try to hold on and preserve something about your life and the old man, you are likely to remain bound to your sin. Let it go. Let it go in the name of Jesus. You know, Christians have a lot more say than they realize in Jesus' name. They have a lot more say than they realize in Jesus' name. But I can't do it! It's too too hard for me. Hang on, no, no, no. Christians have a lot more say than they realize in Jesus' name. You've got to say no. And, and the fruit of that, the fruit of that everlasting, oh, sorry, the fruit of it is holiness and the end everlasting life. That's the That's the direction. Yes to righteousness, becomes holiness, becomes everlasting life. Remember Paul Joseph? Remember Paul Joseph in the Old Testament? Probably a very young, attractive man. Potiphar, his wife, feeling probably a little bit dissatisfied with Potiphar. Maybe he's always busy, whatever. He doesn't treat me very well. He, he treats me like a possession rather than a person. Oh, there's Joseph. He looks pretty nice. And she, she wants to seduce him. It's very simple for Joseph. <laughs> You're another man's wife, man. It's not rocket science to me. You're not my wife. No. No. 
You're not my husband. No. It's not hard, is it? And then the end of that for Joseph was trial, yeah, because we do suffer when we want to live righteously. There is suffering in the flesh when you want to live righteously. Don't, don't fool yourself for a minute to think that it all becomes like roses and the devil's going to throw rose petals along your path, like, oh, well done, keep going. There's suffering in the flesh, but look at the fruit of Joseph at the end, holiness, everlasting life. He was able to be reconciled with his brothers. He experienced life. God blessed him abundantly. This is all because he chose to put the Lord first. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And so that verse becomes now a whole, hopefully a whole lot clearer to us. For the wages of sin is death, verse 23, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let me pray for us. Let's pray. As we pray this morning, I ask you to really consider what it is that the Lord wants in particular to speak to your life about. The promise, uh, the purpose of the Apostle Paul was very simple. Don't let anything control you that's not of God. And who are you giving permission to control your life? And what are you giving permission to control your life? The Apostle Paul's uh, uh, intention was very clear. His purpose is also very clear. He wanted to sh- reveal to us the blessings of righteousness and the dangers of sin. And I think he did that really, really clearly in this passage. Now we choose to walk in the footsteps of Christ. We choose to walk in Christ's footsteps by the power of his spirit and by the goodness of his grace because his grace reigns through righteousness. Christians have a lot more of a say than they realize when they do it in Jesus' name. And I would pray this morning that you would see this hope and this liberty, that you would see this freedom and this truth that is written through the scriptures. Don't let anyone confuse you otherwise when it comes to the word of God. The word of God is very clear. And may it settle in our hearts and may it be believed in our hearts for righteousness. Father in heaven, I want to thank you for this morning, Lord God. I want to thank you for continuing to speak into all our lives. We, we need you so much. You went to the cross, Lord Jesus Christ, not to um, just kind of make it a little bit easier for us. You went to the cross to deliver us, to set us free, to take us from one slavery of harshness and destruction to a slavery that is liberating and free, a slavery of righteousness. So, Father, to you we say yes. To you we say yes. To your righteousness we say yes. To your holiness we say yes. To your purity we say yes. Not because in our minds we can do it, but by the power of your Spirit you enable us, Lord. And when we can't, Lord, we cry out even more to you. When we can't, We throw ourselves even more on you because you're the God who can do all things beyond what we ask and think. You are God, and we thank you for that. Bless your people. Uh, Bless their weak, Lord. Watch over us, protect us, feed us, and send us out to be your workers, Father, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.